me, I'm just expecting to get up tomorrow morning and come back to work, put on my clothes and go make knives. I'm Matt Gambrell, and this is Not The Norm Podcast. We're here to hear the stories of Norm. Having heard them my entire life, I figured there was no reason to keep them secret and let the, uh, let the world hear these crazy stories that one human has experienced. Norm Shank has led a life chocked full of adventure. On this episode of Not The Norm, We'll hear about a trip that Norm took to Alaska with his son Zane, where they chartered a fishing boat for halibut. Uh, we had waves breaking over the charter boat and outrageous wind. And we all huddled down in the back and kept fishing. And the guy said, I can't go any further. And I'm thinking, we're dead. There's not a chance we're going to make it out of this place because the waves were humongous. On that same trip, they have a harrowing grizzly bear encounter. So we arrived at that river with only one gun, and I'd already been at that place before, and in one night they killed two grizzly bears. I was there alone camping for like a week, and instantly I knew it was toast for Zane. It was too close. He was in the same spot the roar came from. But I only had a matter of a second or two, and immediately on the sandbar, the bear came at me. There's even a surprise ending when months later they realized just how dire their situation was. It kind of magnified just what a terrible situation we had survived. I mean, everything was against us. Everything should have gone wrong for whatever reason it didn't. But it kind of reinforced why we really dodged a bullet in that situation. The circumstances of this story strengthen the bond between father and son and helps them realize just how blessed they really are. The hand of God. I was not supposed to die. It's a crazy story and the adventure of a lifetime. And I guarantee you folks, you will not want to miss this first episode of Not The Norm. Welcome, everybody, to our very first podcast. Um, This is Not the Norm, where we're going to talk to Norm Shank, who has had a a crazy life, from what I understand. I've known Norm for a dozen years, and uh, some of the stories I've heard have just been pretty amazing. Sometimes you're thinking uh, that's really not true, but when you talk to Norm long enough and hear these stories you'll realize that they're all just fantastic and true. He's lived quite a, quite a life. And we're going to dive in with Norm. Uh, but first, let's introduce who we have in the room with us. So to my left, we've got uh, Dylan Tanner. Hi, Dylan. Hi. How's it going? Great. Tell me just a little bit about you. Yeah, so I'm a machine shop operations manager here at Shank Knives. And uh, I've also known Norm for, I don't know, maybe five years now. Uh, looking forward to hearing more about these stories. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. To Dylan's left, we have one of Norm's children and the CEO of Shank Knives, Zane Shank. Um, he's a good friend of ours. He's a, a pretty good guy to work with. And he brought his dad, Norm, in. And we're just going to have a quick talk. Zane, tell me a little about you and uh, why we're here. 
Uh, Zane Shank, uh, we're here to hear the stories of Norm. Having heard them my entire life, I figured there was no reason to keep them secret and let the uh, let the world hear these crazy stories that one human has experienced. Um, it, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, great. And to my right and Zane's left, we've got the man of the hour, Norm Shank. Hi, Norm. Hello there. Oh, I'm not yeah. even sure why I'm here. But <laughs> I'm going to have a good time, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, you're here because we, we just think that you have uh, some awesome history and you know a, a ton of stories. I think, personally, you're a great storyteller, and you've got a lot to offer when it comes to good uh, stories and lots of great uh, content for a, a podcast. So that's why we're here, is because you are the content king. Well, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate <laughs> it. I'm starstruck. So, so well, don't be. Um, so, what are you expecting, Norm? What's uh, what? What is a podcast to you, and, and how does that? What does that look like? To me, I'm just expecting to get up tomorrow morning and come back to work, put on my clothes, and go make knives. That's what I'm expecting. Well, what do you expect in the podcast? What do you hope to? I'm really not sure, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. And I'm hoping that I get to tell some wild stories, which they're true. I'd like to embellish because I'm a storyteller, but they're true. Well, to get us started, is there anything um, right now that comes to mind that that you just say, I've got to get this story out there? Is there something, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you don't start at the beginning. Is there anything that's happened in your life that that you want to start with as your first story? As my first story? Mm Mm-hmm. One of my best stories was uh, with my son, Zane. Uh, We would take all of our children. We have five. uh, One daughter, the rest are boys. And uh, we would take them on an adventure after they got out of high school. We took him to where he wanted to go. And he wanted to go to Alaska. Because I'd been up there many, many times shot a big grizzly bear there on the border of the Yukon in Canada and so forth. So I said, we're going to go and have a blast. So we booked with one of the top charter companies out of Homer uh, for go out after try to get 400 pound halibut. So we went way, way out in the ocean. We went out so far. We were, I think, believe around 26 miles out and we got a broadcast. We hadn't even fished yet because we had to get to where the big ones live. And so we got a broadcast over the radio that there was a big storm coming. And so they sort of turned the boat around a little bit and we started fishing. And very short order, uh, we had waves breaking over the charter boat and outrageous wind. And we all huddled down in the back and kept fishing catching little halibut during this massive storm. And it got so serious, they headed for shore, and we literally almost couldn't turn to go to the shore because of the way the breakers were. And after many hours, we got back to shore, and we never realized that um, we should never have been on the boat, first of all, it was a small one. Secondly, that we probably should have all been killed. And Zane assured me that I under-embellished that because it was terrifying. It was really terrifying. And we just kept fishing. To tell how terrible that so, was. It's hard to explain that. how terrible that yeah. fishing well, drip was. Let's start off with this. The night before, we pull into some 
garbage place and this idiot guy from Alaska puts us up in a trailer. And I'm already thinking, what in the heck did my dad set us up in? That we meet with the guy early, early, early. And the guy says, hey, yeah, there's, there's bad forecast. Well, the dad, being the guy he is, isn't going to accept that we're not going to be able to go halibut fishing. So he then continues to convince the guy. The, that the, yeah, the captain of this <laughs> drift boat that we're going to take out into the ocean. The outfitter. the outfitter. He then convinces him, no, it's okay. Like, we'll be all right. Let's just go. And he, the captain is reluctant for a solid 20 minutes. We really shouldn't. The forecast is terrible. And he keeps egging him on. No, like, we'll be all right. Let's just go. We'll have a good time. We can handle it. The captain reluctantly says, okay, let's go. And we had to launch from a beach. Well, yeah, so we, we launch. No dock. There's no dock. It backs us out to the middle of the ocean. And away we go on this small fishing boat. And the weather's already crappy. So now there's four of you. Those are first mate or just the four of you? Uh, just him. He's the captain. I don't remember. There was the three of us and him. I don't and remember him, so another guy. It was a bit, yeah, it just was off okay. from the second he's convincing the captain to take us. So he and launches. We waited us. an hour and a half for the waves to go down to launch from the beach to go out. But this was your idea. You wanted to go. You yeah, finished. he's the top guide for trophy halibut. He's the last guy. Yeah, we're rolling. We did survive. But he was not the top captain. I don't care what story he's in. There's not a chance this guy is the top captain in the last. Sounds like he was the most sober at the time. Yeah. Right? He was probably barely sober to be convinced into taking us out in this crappy weather. So we did. We waited there until the waves would get to the point where we could be pushed into the ocean. And we, we get going. And we were supposed to go like 90 miles out into the ocean to get where the halibut were. And we ended up at 26 or 7 miles. And the guy said, I can't go any further. And I'm thinking, we're dead. There's not a chance we're going to make it out of this place because the waves were humongous. It's Cloudy skies. It's getting worse. It's raining. I'm totally sick. And he goes, well, we'll just stop here and we'll start to fish. And I'm thinking, how in the world do you think I'm going to fish in this crap weather and these stupid waves? So we start to fish. Terrible waves. You can't. You can't really stand up on the boat because the waves are trying to throw you out of the boat. So we drop our line, and I remember reeling in a halibut. And it was it was the worst fight, and I pulled it up, and I think the halibut was like a 10-pound halibut. I mean, it was like a minnow. And I'm just thinking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Why are we out here? And I'm doing that for this stupid fish? So this I think the waves killed it. I think the waves killed it long before it came in. Yeah, that's probably true. So at this point that I bring this fish in, I remember a message comes over the guy, the captain's radio. Hey, if, if you're not back in in a certain amount of time, I can't remember what that time period was, but I think it was around 30 to 45 minutes. If you're not back in, you will not be pulled out and you will have to ride the storm out until we can get you out. And I'm thinking... We better turn this sucker around and get back to shore because I'm not riding this thing out. So the most comforting thing was is the captain said, okay, yeah, we gotta we gotta move and we gotta get out of here. But if I don't turn the boat around at the right point, we have a high likelihood of just capsizing. That's really comforting. Yeah, great what a great captain, just oozing confidence. Yeah, very confident. So now I'm thinking, 
this guy better figure this out. I'm not going to drown at sea. Like, this is not happening today. So we turn around, and we, we luckily figured it out. Luckily, this captain, quote-unquote captain, got us turned around, and we rode waves back. But the waves were literally crashing over the top of our boat. We would come down in the bottom of the swells, and you couldn't see over the waves. It was raining and everything. Humongous waves. How many fish did you end up catching? One. We caught one. I thought we caught three or four. Yeah. We caught Every one. one of them killed by the waves before we got One minnow. Maybe only one. Just one little minnow. That's all we got out of this. Wow. We ended up burning in and, and getting into the place to get pulled out with like a three-minute window before they said they're not pulling us out. They had a John Deere tractor that would come out in the thing and pull you up on shore, basically. So we... We did. We lucked out. We got back in. We got pulled out. The guy charged us full price. This full price for a half a day. Greatest captain charged him full price. And I mean, ultimately, it's probably what he deserved. He, he convinced this clown to take us out. The guy went with it. I don't blame him for charging a full price. How much was full price 20 oh, plus years ago? It was what? I don't have a clue. It was a lot. I was just glad to be alive. <laughs> It was bad. It was so bad. It was just windy. Was it like raining and storming? Rain, 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 overcast, rain, super rain. windy, terrible rain, and just breakers everywhere. The waves were enormous. Eight to ten foot waves. Way over our boat. Way, way over, over the top of the like boat. Like I said, when you came to the bottom of that swell, you couldn't see anything other than water until you rolled over the other side. And I thought for sure I was going to get launched so out. So you were water. down in the trough and you couldn't see We were at the top. very oh, back of the boat. The yeah, very she, back, hanging I, on. I thought for sure I was going to launch right out of the back of the boat. Now, I don't remember convincing him to take us out, but you spent, I sort of remember better now that I heard the story. You spent 30 minutes convincing that guy to take us out because he was adamant we weren't going to go. Because of the weather. Because of the weather. He said, it's terrible. We can't go out. How long were you at, at sea? Not long. Uh, probably under two hours. It was not long. I'm not 100% sure. I was sick as a dog. As fast as you can motor out 26 miles and turn around and come back. <laughs> yeah. That's how long it was. I was about a, yeah. It was a part it's of a day. Miles However long that took is, as long as we lasted. Yeah. And you got really sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was super sick. I didn't. I wasn't throwing up or anything, but it just felt like crap. And you caught the only fish, apparently, the one. I caught the one fish. Just, I hate halibut for that. Hey, it's an ugly, it's the ugliest fish possible. It looks like it's a complete retard. Yeah. There's just a, a newborn. There was a newborn. Newborn. Just a mental fish. Yeah. <clears throat> Did you you got it in the boat? You brought it home? Oh no. Are you? No. I'm not even sure. I didn't care at that point. Are your knives really living up to your expectations? Are you still packing in multiple knives on your hunting trips because one never seems to get the job done? Are you tired of spending your hard-earned money on knives that just won't stay sharp? I know a lot of folks started using replaceable blades a few years ago and have since realized that the cons greatly outweigh the pros. Shank Knives offers American-made full-tang and folding knives that won't break the bank. All of our Hunt Series knives have been extensively field tested by Western outfitters, guides, and hunters in some of the toughest and most demanding conditions. It doesn't matter if you're chasing spring bear and turkey or elk and deer in the fall woods, 
we've got you covered. When you've made your shot and it's time for the real work to begin, you can count on Shank Knives. Let our passion become your obsession. That was the start of this trip. Um, we paid our bill and they charged us full blast, even though we only got a half a day of fishing. Them. So we got ripped off by these crazy outfitters. From there, we took off in a car and went up to the base of Denali Park. And we were going to go into my favorite salmon uh, stream. It's called uh, uh, Clear Creek. And you go into Talkeetna and then you get on Mahay's Jet Boat Service, one of the top jet boat operators in the country. I've been with him many times. And he was going to take us about 45 minutes up and dump us out at the stop of Clear Creek. We uh, had had very little to eat, very, very little, uh, because we sort of went from one spot to the other in a car. and It was a long ways from Homer up to uh, Talkeetna. And we were in chest waders because we're going to backpack in with very heavy packs and live on the river for about mm, three or four days. So you're going fishing. Yeah, for king salmon. But you had already been out in a charter boat. We'd already been on the charter boat, all on one trip. What, what year was this? When was this? Zane, what year? September 15th, 2001? Somewhere right in there. 2001. Well, no, September 11th. 2001. 2001. And I know that because when we went to the airport, they confiscated my pistol at the airport because they had just change the laws on how you can carry a pistol on a plane. So it required all the locks and things to be separated, which I had a leather holster and my ammo sitting with me. And they just said, yeah, you can't have that. That's no longer available. So I ended, I started the trip without a pistol, which was a great start to a trip, knowing that we were going to be up at a, a creek with grizzly bears and everything else. Okay. And my friend was coming along and he forgot to bring his gun. So the only gun we had was a 12-gauge shotgun, uh, 3-inch 12-gauge mag with double-lot buck. And where did and that, that was it. Where'd that come from? I brought it with me, and I got mine there in a special case. And so we arrived at that river with only one gun, and I'd already been at that place before. And in one night, they killed two grizzly bears. I was there alone camping for like a week. And the grizzly bears were all around my tent every night. I had a 44 Magnum then. And down the road, there were some people right on the river. And uh, they killed two grizzly bears. So I knew I had been there many times before, too. And we'd always had bear encounters. We got up to the point, and we had huge backpacks. Nothing to eat, really, to drink, nothing. And we took off down a bear trail right against this creek. And we were going several miles up and camping. And uh, I said, didn't have much energy. And so I sort of lagged behind and we were in high bear grass. We almost couldn't see the creek or the, uh, the, the clear creek that we were on. It's about probably 30 yards across. And by the time I got there, I could hardly move. So I had gone past the point where they decided to camp at a big log jam and 
took off my pack and that was it. I was done. Just exhausted. From just totally out of it. Totally out of it. At my favorite spot, favorite time of the year, it runs on and I can't even get, come back 50 yards to where we were camping. So I called out for some help and somebody took my pack and I managed to crawl to camp and I sat on a log for the next three or four days. Every now and then, I would have enough energy to make a cast, to catch a fish or two, and that was it. My friend that was there was in the same condition. We both sat side by side on a log, fished a little, he improved better than I did, and I didn't know what was wrong. It was full-blown heat stroke, but I didn't find that out till I got home. At night, one of the first nights, we're in a tent right on the edge of the water, and I'd say it was about two in the morning, and snap, right next to my ear, through the distance of the nylon tent, a grizzly bear almost bit my head off, chomp, and then it ran off in the bushes. You don't sleep well, and I had to go outside and change my depends. Okay, it was that bad. It scared all of us, all of us. And so the next morning we get up, we already knew we were in bear country, and away we went. Let me let me interject here. Yeah. Going you, into this place. Do you remember it a little bit differently or just have something to add? No, there's – yeah, I remember it slightly differently. Yeah, so okay. leaving well, – as we left the jet boat, I was ahead of them, and there were grizzly bear prints everywhere. Everywhere. When we talk about thick grass, it was un- like unruly grass. You couldn't see anything. In fact, the other guy that we were with ended up getting lost, and he was like 50 yards away from us. We couldn't find the creek anymore. It was a disaster. We ended up getting there. I had the time of my life fishing because I had the entire place to myself while these two were literal bumps on the log, just sitting there, just worthless. Now, the bear, yes, there was a noise, but that bear was walking around the tent for a time prior to it ever snapping its jaw. Because I remember you, we were both awake. I happened to be in the middle and you rolled over and you said, do you have your gun? And I said, I don't even have a gun. And then literally we hear the bear snap its jaw and take off. We wake up and there's prints all around our tent. I mean, it had been walking around our tent for a while. So it was, it was not like we randomly heard that and it took off. It was far longer than just a quick snap of his jaw. And we were only about 20 feet from the water's edge. We're just right on the sandbar on the on the edge of this creek. So you didn't know that that bear was outside for a while, like walking around, cruising around the camp? No. No. We, we only knew that because of the, the prints. I had heard it for a minute or two when I woke up. There was something that woke me up. I, I'm listening, and I'm like, there's something just on the other side of our tent. He kind of whispered that, and then we heard that snap, and then it took off. It just exploded through the willows that were right behind our tent. I mean, the willows were like 12 feet tall willows that you could not walk through, but this thing just made them erupt. So that was a little unnerving start, knowing that, I'm, little. Yeah. that I'm walking up and down this creek fishing without a gun all day long. All day long. And we found out we had one, my shotgun, that's it. And the other thing that was a falsehood is I was not wearing Depends. I just changed my shorts. Yeah, you know, that's false. Yeah. 
So this, this creek that we were on, about 30 yards wide, had a uh, sandbar on both sides because the river is wild. There's nothing that out of control. And uh, from the water's edge, you go up a bank, maybe about six feet in the air, that was just a sandbar. And then there was big willow uh, flooded plains that just went off to the side. That's the situation. Okay, so we get through that night. We're still not feeling good. I'm not. My friend's not. And we're fishing the best we can. And Zane's having time of his life, okay, and uh, learning how to catch salmon. And we're getting some big ones. And I remember um, one little moment when I was fishing, I hooked in to a monster king salmon, maybe 60 pounds. And uh, it it caught me really close to shore. And it took off like a jet ski going the opposite direction. And when it came out of the water, it had about eight or 10 lures on its back from other fishermen that had broke, he had broke off. It looked like a Christmas tree. Yeah. And he broke me off. So remember what I said in the intro that not everything sounds honest. I mean, come that's, on, that's real. It, it absolutely looked like the Christmas tree and broke me off in an instant. It was Dylan, a monster. Dylan, Dylan, are, you, are you buying it? I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I, that's a big fish. Did you see it? Did you see it? Notoriously. Kinda. When you're, when you're <laughs> six miles back off a creek in the middle of Alaska. With heat stroke. That fish is You've already jetted 20 miles up a river. Yeah. Find a Christmas tree fish is a far stretch, but it may have been a lure or two from him previously. I know. Because I think his a, heat stroke was kicking in at that point. It was probably a lot of. But we were fishing in a in a pool of fish. I mean, you can look in and you'd see fifty king salmon sitting there. So there were plenty of fish that you were catching or snagging or or losing lures to it. But I, I give you maybe one or two. And we were right against a massive log jam that stuck out into the river. And there was big rainbows we were catching, too, underneath the logs that broke us off. Anyway, so I made a few casts each day and got better as it went on. And we now came to the time when it was time to hike back and meet the jet boat. Are your knives really living up to your expectations? Are you still packing in multiple knives on your hunting trips because one never seems to get the job done? Are you tired of spending your hard-earned money on knives that just won't stay sharp? I know a lot of folks started using replaceable blades a few years ago and have since realized that the cons greatly outweigh the pros. Shank Knives offers American-made full tang and folding knives that won't break the bank. All of our Hunt Series knives have been extensively field tested by Western outfitters, guides, and hunters in some of the toughest and most demanding conditions. It doesn't matter if you're chasing spring bear and turkey or elk and deer in the fall woods, we've got you covered. When you've made your shot and it's time for the real work to begin, you can count on Shank Knives. Let our passion become your obsession. So how many days have you been upriver at this point? This is 
uh, we had to leave day four. So day four, we had to leave at a certain time to be able to hike back to the creek to catch the jet boat because if we didn't catch the jet boat, we were there for another four days. So you came into Alaska, did a charter boat out in the ocean. How, for how all was, of it. That was one day? Yeah, that, that was one day, half a day because we got started off. So the next day you got on the plane or boat? No, we did some other stuff. We, we drove around. We did some other things. So it ended up being like day three that we ended up getting the jet boat. Getting to Calcutta. Getting up, up the river. And then, so four days up the river. Yep. Yep. And you're coming back out. Okay. So we made a decision that I was feeling much better, that we would not take any fish until the last moment. Okay. And I'd used this process before that we would get up in the morning at one o'clock about and start catching salmon and then fillet them round spot so that we could take back the most fish we were allowed. And we would use my old technique. And it, what it is, is you take the fillet, you rinse it off and you put it in a Ziploc bag. And you can, if you have a scavenger to take the oxygen out, you throw that in and then you put it in the water and let the water pressure squeeze in on the Ziploc bag and it's almost vacuum packed. So we started doing this about one in the morning, catching fish, laying them out, so forth. So now it comes time we planned that we can walk out, we can hike out. I was behind Zane and having him and Dave both help me adjust my pack because it was well over a hundred pounds. I don't you know. You guys have bagged a bunch of fish using your We bagged them all up with the method. And we're walking down the left side of this creek because it went down about a hundred yards or more and split. It made a left-hand turn at a right angle and went off in a smaller stream where we were headed to go back to the main Dalkeetna River. And it went to the right, sort of at an angle. How wide, so how wide are we talking about? The main river, what? 30 yards? About 30 yards. About 30 wide. yards wide. And yeah, it split into two sections, maybe 20 yards wide, okay? And, and this distance that he's talking about, going from where we camped to the fork is about 150 yards. Yeah. And, and granted, this 150 yards, I had been fishing up and down every day. And I kid you not, I fished it probably, I probably walked that section 200 times throughout these four days. It was just back and forth. It was just like the routine thing because the fish would fight and you'd chase them down the creek and you'd bring them in and walk back up to camp. We're talking about a really small area, um, and, and also the boulders on the ground that you're walking on were huge. It was very difficult to walk on because of the rocks, because you had creek, massive boulders, and then willows. So it wasn't like just a normal path to walk out on. The willows were above the water, about six feet, eight feet, and there was a big willow sandbar. Okay, so we loaded up our packs, and it was so heavy I could hardly get it on. They helped me get it in place. And I'm moving slow because I'm still weak. I'm doing better. And Zane went in front. And we acted the same way. Dave and I acted the same way. We were trailing Zane all the way in and now all the way out to hike back to the main river. So we're going along. I'm adjusting my pack. I am the only one with the gun. I'm in the middle now between these two people. Zane is probably 50, 60 yards in front of me. And we come along to where the fork is. And this fork in Alaska, the rivers are untamed. So they have sweeping logs everywhere. Uh, there's no trails except bear trails. And this, this river split into a Y 
And the side we were on went at a right angle. It came and hit a right angle virtually and went the other way. And you couldn't see past it because there's willows. Okay. So walking along, I heard a noise that I'd already heard before when I killed a record book grizzly bear years earlier. And it was the loudest roar I have ever heard exactly at the same moment Zane went out of sight and turned the corner. He just became invisible going around the corner and there was the roar. Instantaneously. So Zane, you pick it up. You turn the corner and I'll tell you what I thought. So I turned the corner and obviously I'm paying attention to where I'm walking to not roll your ankle and fall. So my head was down 95% of the time. But I, as I came around the corner, I stopped and literally had some feeling that there was something looking at me. And as I looked up, about 25 to 30 yards is a mother grizzly bear taking a drink. And at the same time I look up, she raises her head up from her drink and, and gives the most earth-shattering roar you could possibly imagine. I mean, absolutely just shakes you to the ground. How far away is she in front of you? 25 to 30 yards. And as she does that, I then realize, well, it'd been nice to have a gun at this point. Um, even though if I would have had a gun, I don't know if it would have done anything. But she she growls, and I'm looking dead at her in her eyes, and she takes off on a dead charge at me. Okay, now so we're going to stop there, okay? And you can't see him at this point because you're around the corner. I can't see him. I hear the roar, and I knew exactly what it was. And that's when the bear charged Zane. Okay, so I'm still a bystander. And instantly, I knew it was toast for Zane. It was too close. He was in the same spot the roar came from. But I only had a matter of a second or two. And immediately on the sandbar, the bear came at me. I couldn't see it because it was six feet up, but I could see the willows crushing. And it came full blast. So my attention turned, not what happened to Zane. I already felt like he had been mauled or something, but it came at me. And I, so I go, am I the target? So the same bear? Or the same bear. It was just almost instantaneous. I see willows breaking above me. And I heard the roar and I moved to, I jumped back two or three feet into the creek. And this thing came roaring up. I had the gun up, I had it off safety, and it came roaring up, and it was standing six feet taller than I am, and it came up on the willows, and it was shaking its head. It was like, and it just stopped right where I'm at, shaking its head, and then it turned and saw me and stood up. Uh, This is a nine-foot grizzly brown bear. Stood up, and... roared at me a little bit and threatened me with my very life. And I had the gun right on its chest. It had a little white spot under its chest. And so we are about 10 feet apart and it stands up and just threatens the daylight out of me. And my decision was, am I going to shoot it right now? I mean, this all occurred in a second. Am I going to shoot it right now? Or am I going to get one shot off as it breaks out six feet from me? And that's all I'm going to have. Once again, this flashed through my mind. I was ready to probably take the shot. 
and two cubs ran underneath the bear. And she looked down and saw the cubs, and I go, oh. I mean, the thought came, Zane's toast. He had walked up on a mother bear with two cubs. So as she charged at me, she came dead on, and I think I managed to take a, a, a step, maybe two steps backwards in the time that she had basically gotten to me. And at about eight yards, she broke at a 90-degree angle and, and burst through the willows. Why did she break at a 90-degree angle, Zane? The hand of God. I was not supposed to die. That's the only. That's the only reason that that yeah, bear ever turned. It was. It was as though somebody just picked her up and shifted her, and she broke it in there. In essence, it was coming now straight at him. So he got the perception that she's coming straight at him, but she was really making her way to the sandbar that was in between all of the willows, and that's where she stood up. And that was the first time that I saw where he was. Because by that time, I'd walked myself back into the creek, and I remember seeing her stand up on her hind legs just like a movie. So she's sitting there growling, and I'm having the same thought. When she falls, when she drops down, I have no idea where she's going to be. I don't know if she's coming at me and going to maul me in the creek or if she's going to turn around and run. And, and I remember seeing just like the tops of the cubs' fur run off behind. And so... Meanwhile, I'm kind of making my way through the creek to get closer to where the gun's at because that's my only saving feature here is that there's at least a gun that I don't have. Um, but yeah, literally the only thing that saved me was the fact that somebody just tilted And the he bear. told me more. He said the bear slammed into something, full charge, hit something like a brick wall, sort of shook its head and turned and went off. When it arrived at my spot, it was shaking its head. We don't know why. It hit a wall, okay? An invisible wall was put up to keep him from being hit at about eight yards, okay? And when it found me, it was still shaking its head and looked down and saw me and then threatened the tar out of me. And I went back in the water with the gun on. So something turned the bear away from Zane, like he hit a brick wall, just turned 90 degrees and mm -hmm. came your direction just within a few seconds of you hearing that roar. Yes. Now he's coming towards you. Yep. And he stands up, or she stands up. She comes. comes up and look, she looks very confused. She's shaking her head. Okay. Whatever wall she hit was still stunned and stands up and looks around and sees me standing six feet away in the water and lets me have it. I mean, she threatened me with her eyes, snapping her teeth and looking right straight in my eyes, told me that don't blink or you're dead. And I knew it. And the gun was right on her chest. Once again, this happened in just seconds. And immediately through the bottom of her leg, I could see her legs through the willows because they were kind of sparse and two cubs ran by. And I go, oh no. Just in my mind, I go, oh no. The worst case scenario for Zane and me. <laughs> we're confronted in a standoff. And then she gave one last look and it said, don't even breathe or grew, grow a new facial hair and you're dead. It was about that serious and I knew it. She dropped down. I pointed the gun where she would come out, 
and she went the other way. I'd already changed my Depends, which I wasn't wearing, and now I didn't know what to change, okay? It was that serious. And about the same time, I looked down and see Zane alive coming back around the corner. And I go, how did he get by that? And we regrouped down with Zane, and we lived the moment, and he told us a story, and I couldn't believe any of it, hardly, but I told him my story, and he couldn't believe it. And we decided to pace off where the bear had run. So we went through the journey where it had charged and sort of looked where it had gone up the sandbar, and we lived it. And we thanked our lucky stars. I mean, I can't tell you how grateful we are that that bear turned on some invisible wall. And I think Zane already said it. The hand of God protected him for some reason. And me. Okay. So we regrouped, relived the story several times, but we were now late. We still had to go quite a ways to get out. We started down that creek, and I think we said we're walking down the middle of the water. No, we hadn't made that decision yet. We just said, all right, we're going to be in the water for a little bit. So we made our way like 30 yards past this point. That's it. Now we're right at the fork. And as we come up, we look to the right. And on the opposite side of the creek is a mother grizzly bear with three cubs. Different bear. Three cubs. On the opposite side. A black one with a white spot. And she's standing on the other side. So we're stuck in the center of the creek. In the creek. What's she going to do? So she kind of does her, she's patting She She pounced and, with her feet and threatened us. And we go, okay, she's got to come across the creek, so my gun will take her out this time if she charges. She backed up with her cubs and went into the woods, but just right there. So now what? We got another hit, and we decided we're going to walk down the center of the creek now. We didn't want one on one side or the left. We went right down the creek, got down there, and ran into a little family that had been dropped off by the river's edge and told them, you don't want to go up the creek very far. We've just been threatened by two grizzly bears, and they left. They bugged out. They actually fall, They chose to follow us and yeah. left because we, were the only we had the only gun. Okay. And they followed us out. And we ended up catching the jet boat and delivering the salmon and getting them in a freezer and getting home safe and so forth, and so on, and we live in the story. Okay. I had gotten the idea for the shotgun from my good friend, Randy Brooks, who owned Barnes Custom Bullets in Utah. He had told me, he says, Norm, you need to take your 375 H&H. He says, that will stop a bear. If you just hit it, it sets it back, gives you another shot. And I said, I don't want to pack the rifle. I'd rather try to sort of blind it or kill it. And he says, okay, go with the 12 gauge. So I did. Okay. So we go home. We've lived the story many times. It's six months later, at least six months later, or it's a year later. And I'm thinking, I'm reliving the story. And I'm thinking, he told me not to take a shotgun. What would this shotgun really have done on the bear? Was it six with? feet. Did you have buckshot or yeah, was I it? I had a, tri- a triple lot buck. Yeah. I only had a few pellets. So I said, I'm going to go find out. I put the original shell in. No, you didn't. I did. You never loaded the shell. You had never unloaded the shell. 
oddly, you never got your gun checked. Remember, you came home and you had never unloaded your gun. It was full loaded. That's, that's right. The entire that's time right. on the on it the plane. Full loaded. Home, it's full loaded. Correct. We flew on I, the I plane with a loaded shotgun. That would happen. We flew. We no, came back yeah, on a plane with a loaded shotgun. Two thousand one. Yeah. yeah, we had a loaded shotgun. Yeah, on the plane. All the way. And it well, that would have got me in jail right then. It was safe for months and months and months. That's right. Because this is where it got, this is where we figured out what had happened. Okay, so so six months after the event. Six months home. after, I'm reliving the story, thinking about the gun. So right. I took a jug of water and a gallon jug and set it out behind my shop. So I put it out behind there, set it on a log, came back about six, eight, ten feet from where the bear would have been, pulled up, fired. The gun never fired. It had a broken firing pin. I had to take it to a gunsmith and get it repaired. Now, the terror of the story was complete. And I absolutely slumped down and go, I couldn't have shot it. I couldn't have helped out in any way. It had a broken firing pin on the shotgun. And that is one of the wildest stories I've been in. I've been in some wild ones, but not where everybody's protected and everybody everything works out fine nobody's killed guns won't fire i've never had quite that experience before and zane went and served a mission in uruguay for two and a half two years and went on his way i we just bonded. supposed we to bonded be on that moment i was supposed to be bear food yeah simple as that you're that's meant, for, meant for greater things. I was meant, meant for greater things to run shank knives, and that's what he does. But we, I remember him calling me up because I wasn't home. I was in college. He called me up. He said, hey, guess what I found out about the gun? And I had already given him crap about the gun situation. And then he tells me, hey, yeah, by the way, I would never be able to fire a shot. And then he tells me it has a broken firing pin. And it kind of magnified just what a terrible situation we had survived. I mean... Everything was against us. Everything should have gone wrong for whatever reason it didn't. But it kind of reinforced why we really dodged a bullet in that situation. Right? We're finding out this gun problem.